You're listening to How Real Estate Works, your one-stop shop for all things real estate. Whether you're looking to learn about real estate investing, buying your first house, growing as a real estate agent, and all things financial freedom related, we got you covered with co-hosts Jesse Johnson and Matt Talent. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can join us weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and YouTube. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps us out. We're a month in. Week four. Yeah, episode four. <coughs> that was terrible. Bless you. <laughs> Start over. Oh, we got it. All right. <laughs> so week four. Episode four. What are we talking about today, Matt? Um, we are talking about how to buy your first house in 10 easy steps and also both of our first time uh, home buyer experiences. Oh, that's going to yeah. be riveting. Yeah, this is, this is an episode for everyone. <laughs> yeah, this is for the people that just want It's also going to be for someone who actually wants to learn something. Um, and uh, anyone who works with us that wants to make fun of me later, they should listen to this one as well. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> so, cool. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's get in it. So what's, what's step one into uh, finding your first home? So starting out, um, getting an idea of where you want to buy and how much you can afford. Um, so I think the major part of this, um, when you're determining an area, is really just pick a place that you want to live. I, that's kind of how I did it. Um, I always had this place in mind after college. And I didn't really go off the numbers or anything. But I think the big thing is, like, you want to be where you want to live at. So, um, And then just find out what you can afford. Um, you can so how, how do you do that? How do you find out what you can afford? So there's a lot of great... Um, mortgage calculators and loan calculators out there. That's what I use. Um, and and I use the FHA loan calculator. So there's one on Google. Um, I like the one on nerdwallet.com and that you can put in, um, like principal interest, taxes, insurance. And then if you're doing an FHA loan, you can do the PMI included on there. Excellent. Yeah. So, so affordability um, comes down to more than just like, it's, it's, it's interesting when, when people think about buying the house, they're always like, well, I have to come up with a down payment I yeah. have to come up, you know, so, but the reality is um, once you talk to a mortgage professional and you get, you know, kind of get that dialed in, it really comes down to monthly payment. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that's also really important when you're deciding where you want to live um, because believe it or not, taxes have play a bigger role in affordability than the actual price of the house sometimes. Yeah. It's a huge so some part. people, you know, some people will say, well, I, I can only afford 300,000. Um, or they, they say I can afford, I can definitely afford 300,000, but then they go to an area where the taxes are really high and really they may only be able to afford 250 there versus, you know, somewhere like Philadelphia where taxes are lower, they can afford more house. So, so it was really about understanding um, the monthly payment plus uh, and honestly, the, the amount of money you need to work with, so the two real qualifiers uh, when, you're, when you are looking for a mortgage. Um, I, I used to play this game uh, with my first-time homebuyers, which was, like, tell me what you like to eat. 
tell me what type of uh, like what kind what kind of beverage will you have with dinner? Yeah, and it would kind of like give me an idea what like what neighborhoods to put them in um, because you know there were some people who were a little bit edgier and they would be you know be happier in neighborhoods that were maybe slightly less established but had a little bit more character uh, where there was people who were very safe in what they chose and you knew that they. They needed kind of like that vanilla feel and they didn't, yeah. they, uh, an HOA might be perfect for them. So, um, yeah, that was, that was always like a fun one for me. It's like, you know, what do you drink? What do you eat? You know, it's a good way to do it. Yeah. If it was plain vanilla, then you knew like, Hey, maybe that townhouse development where and you don't have to think about it. Maybe that is a good place for you to live. It's by the way, this is not proven. It's not tested. It's, but, uh, the, it was the fun. Jesse Johnston theory. It was a fun game to play. The algorithm. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, well, step two is an easy one because uh, I know a couple, a couple good people. You know, um, one good, one good person. I'm already I mean, here. Oh, uh, cool. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a licensed realtor too. Damn it. True. So, <laughs> so find a realtor step two. Um, so what's interesting is I'll go from a different standpoint on this than, you know, just, Oh, find a realtor. Like don't work with the agent at the open house always. Like that's not necessarily the right person to work with. However, yeah. um, like if, you know, find someone that you click with has great, you know, resources as far as, you know, helping you find financing um, is showing an interest in you as a person and, you know, that you know that you can trust. It's not necessarily always track record of the individual agent. Like, you know, so what if they didn't sell, you know, $50 million the year before is that agent may not be the best for you, but it's the person that, you know, is going to put the time in and, um, I'll, you know, a little plug for the how group. If they have a great back office, like we do, um, that's a great person to work with too, even if they are brand new in the business, because you know that their team's not going to drop the ball and, uh, you're going to get the attention that you want. Yeah. I mean, for me, I found a friend from high school, um, when I was starting out, but I chose him because he knew a lot about real estate investing. He invested himself. Um, so he really gave me like a great education for my first time home buyer experience. So his values kind of aligned with what I was looking for. If you're looking to do real estate investing, find someone who invests themselves sure. or whatever you want to do. Step three, um, finding a mortgage representative. So usually your realtor will have someone that they're partnered with um, as a mortgage representative, and you don't have to use them necessarily. You can go with any mortgage representative that you want. Um, the person that I went with my first time, I think their, their interest was a little higher, but they were more responsive, which I would rather have because if you want to go put, maybe you have a pre-approval letter for 250 and you go out and find a house for 275 you want to be able to call them up and get a new pre-approval letter within the hour so you can get your your offer out there um and i've had i've had really good ones who will get back to you in 10 minutes and i'd rather pay higher interest to work with them um because you don't want to lose out on a deal because maybe you saved 0.1 percent interest but the person never got back to you with that pre-approval letter and you lost out on the deal. It's true. I think, um, especially in this current market, um, moving slow will cost you money. And, yeah. uh, so moving fast, being able to get an offer in immediately, 
uh, is really important. And um, I always, I always, so I was, I spent nine years in the mortgage industry. So um, one thing, my, my, what I hung my hat on is, is you'll see me at closing. Meaning like if I was terrible during this process, you'll see me at closing. If I was great yeah. during this process, you'll see me at closing. Meaning like yeah, your loan person should own it enough to show their face at closing. Yeah. Right. And I think that's a, that says a lot about, you know, the quality of the service you're going to get is if they show their face at closing, because that is the culmination of a good or bad experience, um, mostly good. Um, and, you know, allows them to, if there is a problem to solve it on the spot versus, you know, trying to find somebody who's maybe, you know, MIA or at the beach or something like that. So uh, knowing that they're going to show up at closing is a big deal. Um, I'd also go with somebody who has multiple loan products uh, available. So, um, you know, we work a lot with first priority mortgage. So they, they are part of MidPen Bank. So they have bank product. They also have everybody else's product. So they, they have the ability to do all, all different types of loans. So you're not wedged into something. Um, and I, I, I would just put the caution out there. You know, if, if, if you've seen them on the Super Bowl, uh, the mortgage company, most likely they're terrible and they're, they're terrible at lending, but they're great at marketing. So don't fall for marketing, you know, stick with someone that you can rely on. Um, that's been my experience. Now, could, can you get in a good loan officer through one of those, uh, Super Bowl commercials? Yes, but it's very unlikely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then once you find that right mortgage person, what you're going to want to do is get pre-approved so you can make offers. Um, most people will have just an online application process. It's pretty easy to fill out. Um, you give them all your salary info and job info. And this was like kind of a big thing for me when I was starting out. Um, so I would, if you want to buy a house within six months to a year, I would connect with the mortgage person maybe a year out because you never know what's going to pop up. Um, there's a lot of people who will connect with that mortgage person a couple months before they want to buy a house and they find out that their credit is in disrepair or maybe they're self-employed. So they don't have two years of self-employment income, um, which was what happened with me starting out. I wasn't able to get a mortgage because I had my own business. So I had to go back and change all my plans which you don't want to find out when you're ready to go look at houses. Right. Yeah. I mean, I love the idea of, you know, if your dream house hit the market today, are you ready to buy it? And the answer nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of hundred is no, because you don't know until you've talked to your financial people. Um, so that's a big deal. Um, so yeah, getting, getting ready um, is important. So pre-qualification to me is, is one step in 2020 or actually in every year, I would recommend getting full pre-qualified. That's when you, that's when you've supplied your lender with, um, the tax returns, you know, W2s, pay stubs, bank statements, and you, and they've actually ran it through underwriting. Um, Mm -hmm. because you go under contract to, and you're ready to buy your house to find out that there's a blip on your, on your, uh, on your assets, meaning, you know, maybe they, they, you got a gift from somebody or the money, you know, is not able to be used. And it's happened time and time again, where we've had people say, well, I have this money and it was cash that they had in their basement and they deposit in their bank account. It's completely unusable because it's unseasoned and unsourced funds. Um, yeah. The banks protect against Joey bag of donuts. Just saying. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, right. I think they, they look back at, at two months of your bank statement. So if you yeah. had put like, yeah, like $10,000 in your bank last week, they're going to say, yeah. hey, we need to know where that money came from. Correct. Yeah. And that, that really comes out of the 2008 housing or banking crisis. Yeah. Um, you know, Dodd-Frank and all of those good things, um, which are great for protecting the banks and the economy, bad for you know, money laundering. Yeah, <laughs> terrible for money laundering. Yeah, exactly. Or self-employed so, people. Exactly. So uh, step five is find a property. I, I'm, I'm glad I got this one because I, I do think that whole thing is changing. Yeah. Uh, we talked about it in our last show. We, you and I both agreed that how, how like showing house is going to be different, right? So, yeah. um, but I want to start like generally when you, most buyers start online. They're not like, they're not calling a realtor first. Um, so they're going to start online. And most people are going to start with, let's just say, 100 homes that they look at. Or maybe, you know, maybe even more depending on, on the person if they don't know where they want to live and they're just looking all, all over the place. So they start with a wide search. So they're way out here. And then you know, when, when they decide to call a realtor is usually when they found an area that they want to be in. And so now we're going to take that 100 homes. We're going to knock it down to 20. Um, and what I recommend for anybody who's looking at homes is that you take those 20 homes and you drive the neighborhoods. Because what you'll find is, you know, there's the one that, you know, backs up to the garbage dump or the one that's hanging off a cliff or there's the one that is in disrepair. And all of a sudden that 20 becomes five. Yeah. And those are the ones you actually want to look at, especially, again, the 2020 market's red hot. So um, you really need to be focused on the homes that you actually want to buy and you need to be ready to move. So you, now you've got your pre-approval. You've now decided on the five houses you want to see. You're going to call Matt. Matt's going to take you out to look at the top five. And most likely of those top five homes, you're going to buy, you're going to make an offer on one of those because you've already done, you've gone from 100 to 20 to five. And you're really focused at that point. If you don't find what you want in that five, then you go back out and you look at the 20 again and say, okay, well, what, what didn't work in the, in the five that I looked at? And it could be just a matter of shifting towns or shifting you know maybe you have to spend more money to get what you want so now we're going to go up the price point um but finding the property is is it's a factor of here to here and and you know going from 100 to 20 to 5 to 1 and it's just a narrowing process um it's really simple um and it shouldn't be daunting and you know in the new you know with covid and everything that has has happened you know, looking at a lot of homes is not the right thing to be doing either. I think looking at being very focused and purposeful about going to, into someone's home is, is going to be important and, and into the foreseeable future. So, um, you know, so yeah. I think that's important. Yeah, I know. I think um, like if you're going to invest hundred, hundreds of thousands of dollars of your own money, like just know your market, like your realtor knows the market well, but your realtor may be working in Philadelphia and the greater Philadelphia area. And you're looking in like Maniunk or Roxborough. And I think when I was looking, I knew my market more than anyone else in Maniunk. Like I literally searched for like four or five hours a night. I knew every home that came on and off the market. Um, and it's just a trust but verify thing. You just want to, if you're investing two or $300,000, you should know your market more than anyone else. Um, and know what a, a three bedroom with one bath should cost and what a four bed with, with two baths should cost. So yeah. I think knowing your market, knowing each street and why this street is better than that street 
it's maybe it's closer to the commercial district. Um, it, it makes a big difference. That's the whole idea of, of touring. Like if you're driving, yeah. you're driving around, there's no reason to get to go look into a house that you're never going to like, never going to want to live on the street. Right. It just doesn't make yeah. sense. Um, or, you know, but I, I would, I would caution people on skipping houses that are overpriced. Um, it's kind of one of the tricks of the trade is uh, when you find something that is outside the market, um, they could reduce the amount of, of competition you have on it. Um, it could mean one or two things. One is you might be able to make a, get a good deal or two, it might mean that seller's completely unrealistic, but yeah. uh, don't, don't be turned off by the one that's priced outside the market because that could eventually be the one that you buy. Um, I always tell the story, the last house that I bought was on the market forever in a neighborhood that sold in two weeks. Yeah. And um, it was, it was the house that had all the wallpaper. Okay. And I was like, yeah, it's wallpaper. Cool. I'm going to, I'm actually going to get a deal because it's been on the market for 90 days. And I, you know, I went in and I made a non-contingent offer um, and came in really low and they accepted the offer like wow. because it was non-contingent and they'd been sitting on the market for so long. And yeah, did it cost me money to get that wallpaper down? Yes. I spent a lot of money getting, removing wallpaper, but I probably still ended up saving, you know, maybe 7%. Uh, even after putting the wallpaper or removing wallpaper and painting. Wait, so, so you didn't, you didn't remove all the wallpaper yourself? No, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That's a surprise. We'll do a thing. whole, ep we'll do a whole episode on uh, either you all are the wallpaper removal company or you hire someone to do it. We'll There's do a show two types it. of people. <laughs> yeah. And I'm this, I'm the other type. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, uh, the, that job, uh, since we're talking about it, um, it came, it ended up costing me double what the estimate was because the wallpaper wasn't installed properly. Oh um, so they had to scrape all the way down to the drywall. Yes. Jesus. And then re yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was uh, solid. Nice. <laughs> it's always nice when it goes that way. It is. It is. So all now right, we found so, a property. What's next? Uh, make an offer. If it's accepted, you're under contract. So nice. I think like, this again goes back to what's important to you. Um, so there's so many different things that you can, you can put in your offer. One is price. Another is seller's assist, which basically is getting money back off your closing costs and it's less money to the seller at closing. Um, inspection contingencies are in there. Um, and then appraisal contingencies and all those sorts of things. So, like what was important for me when I was trying to buy a house um, was less money out of pocket. So I paid full list price both times I bought a house and I built in a seller's assist. So I think I got like six to $10,000 off, um, off my closing costs, which reduced my yeah. out of pocket expenses, which when I first bought my house, I, I had the money for the down payment. And I was like, oh, well, like, what are the closing costs? And my realtor was like, oh, it's like your down payment plus your closing costs. And I was like, wait, I didn't know that I needed more money. And so yeah. it's like, oh, we'll just do a seller's assist. So I paid nice. full, full listing price and got a seller's assist. So just kind of giving everybody a little bit more detail on seller's assist. So basically, um, just using simple math, um, if you had a hundred thousand dollar purchase price and there was a six percent seller's assist, so that would be six thousand um, dollars. Essentially, you're making a ninety-four thousand dollar offer to the to the seller, and they're providing you six thousand dollars to pay your closing costs. 
Yeah. Pretty common. It's actually incredibly common. Um, but what you will find is um, there are some sellers that are unfamiliar with it and their, and their agents have to educate the sellers on that. Um, when making an offer, it's, you know, and this goes back to the seller's assist, it's really important to talk to the, you know, have your agent talk to the other age, the, the, the listing agent, just to find out what's important to the seller, because you definitely want to make, you don't, you want to make an offer that gives the seller something that they want. You know, yeah. a lot of times it's price, but it, there could be other terms. It could be, they don't want to do a lot of repairs or they want to close at a certain time. Um, sometimes they just want a sure thing. Like my, the story I told you earlier, these people had a house that they were under contract to buy and they needed a sure close date. And I said, absolutely. I'll give you what you want. Yeah. Um, and it gave me an opportunity to ask for what I wanted. So just a asking, having your agent or as an agent asking really great questions prior to making an offer is really good. Um, and also when you're in, in a bidding war, it's really important to understand what's, what the seller, what the seller thinks is, is important. So you can add that in the, in the terms of your agreement, um, to make your agreement stand out. Yeah. Oh, I get, I get to do the next one, huh? Yes, sir. So, um, in the commercial world or the investing world, we, we would call the next step due diligence, but it's, uh, so it's your home inspections and appraisal. So. Um, I'll break those down into two, two separate things. So the, the home inspection is actually for you as the buyer. Um, and it's when you get to hire, you hire a, a credited home inspection company and they go out and, uh, and they inspect the home. And I, I always tell everybody like, don't be surprised if the house that you fell in love with has problems because every house, you know, new construction or old homes, they all, there's always something that a home inspector finds because frankly, that's what you're paying them for. Yeah. Um, so the average home inspection is probably 50 pages long. <laughs> yeah, or 100. Um, exactly. And uh, there's always like 99 things wrong with the house. So, uh, so that, you know, just be, don't be surprised. Um, but what I advise people to, to focus on is what I call the three S's. Um, so when you get your home inspection, we're going to look at the safety of the home. So are there, are there safety issues with the house? Are there structural issues with the house? That's the other S. So S number two is structural. And then uh, the third one is, the third S is systems. So systems are roof, windows, plumbing, HVAC, appliances, like any major systems of the home. Um, are there issues with those? So what we're not going to look at is, you know, the, uh, the closet door doesn't close properly. That, that to me is not a major, it's not one of the three S's. However, if there's a window broken, that's a system of the house. Um, is the house crooked? That could be a structural issue. Um, and, and or, you know, safety issues include, you know, uh, railings and, and tripping issues and lead-based paint and things like that. So we really do focus on, on the three S's. Um, and the second part is the appraisal. And believe it or not, the appraisal, it really is done to benefit the bank. So uh, the bank wants to know that the asset that they're going to lend you on is worth what you're paying. And so while it is a benefit to you to know what, your house, what the house you're buying is worth, it's really a protection for the bank. Uh, you pay for it, but the bank chooses who does it, and the bank is using it to help you qualify. Um, so it's, that's actually a very simple process. It's not something you know, that you do a lot. You have a lot to do with. Um, and... Uh, but you, both of these are usually done within the first two weeks of being under contract. Yeah. And um, I always tell people like inspection money is the best money ever spent 
because it's a lot and it comes out of your pocket. Um, I, it's usually 450 for a general inspection and you can't yeah. wrap, wrap that into the loan. Um, and then I usually recommend termite and radon. So all told, I think it's usually $615 and that's paid by you out of pocket. Doesn't get yeah. wrapped into the loan. Um, but best money ever spent. I, both times I went to buy a house, I had to walk away from one deal because of the, uh, the inspection, but sure. at least it didn't get me into like a money pit for the rest of my life. So absolutely. Um, and then that, also, oh, that's yeah. your, that, that's your protection, right? Like yeah. that's so that you're, it's like, um, it's your ability to go, to kind of go deep on, you know, and understand the house you're buying. Yeah. And the appraisal also is 450 or 475. That's also paid by you out of pocket um, and does not get wrapped into the loan. Cool. And then, so once you actually go and do your, um, your inspection and the inspector comes back with a list of stuff and Jesse will say, or I will say, hey, these are the things that we recommend that you get fixed. Um, and sometimes... The, the client themselves will bring up something that they want to get fixed. So we'll do, um, we'll write up like a list of stuff that needs to get repaired and you can either get a credit at closing to take money off the closing costs or price of the house, or you can um, get the repairs done before you close on the house. And you go back and forth negotiating those. They don't always yeah. have to fix everything. You know, credits can be done up to a maximum of what the lender will approve at times. That can be done because there are limitations on what you can ask for. But it's, it's um, that part of the negotiation usually takes, you know, five to 10 days. So you're now you're 20, you know, plus days into the process. Um, and this is, this is the, I would say this is the most challenging portion of, of the buying your first home. Would you agree with that? No. Yeah, I would say for me, it was looking for houses. I just okay. did not like looking for houses. Really? That's yeah. surprising. I just want to find a house and get into it. Got it. This is so I would say you're you're definitely the outlier here. Yeah, because <laughs> this is the this is the most challenging part, even for agents and for their for their uh, for their buyers. Yeah, it's 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 this get the home inspection, negotiate because no one really wants, you know, no, you, you want to make sure the house is as good as it possibly can be. Um, and at the same time, you, you, there's a chance that there, there could be too much wrong with it and you may have to walk away. Yeah. Um, so there's a, it's a challenge, it's a challenging portion of that, but good communication with your agent uh, and clarity on what you want done is, is definitely a way forward there. So, um, so step nine, wow, we're, we're going fast today. Um, yeah. Step nine. So get insurance and inform mortgage companies so they can connect uh, to your escrow account. So, um, so homeowners insurance, it, it's just a matter of connecting with a reputable rep. I mean, we recommend people that you could talk to that are local uh, because we always feel like the service is better. And uh, like mortgage companies, dealing with someone who has multiple products, meaning that they can shop multiple <laughs> insurance companies is, is really important. Um, Homeowner's insurance is usually paid in full, either at closing or before closing, and then is uh, collected as a part of the monthly payment as in your escrow for your uh, 
with your mortgage company. Um, I don't really have, there's not really much to talk about there um, because a reputable uh, insurance agent will direct you with, to what you need. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, that's actually, I would say that's an easy part of the process. Yeah. yeah. The only add on I would put in there is uh, if you buy a house in Philadelphia or the surrounding areas, get your, your sewer and drain pipes insured. It's like, there you go. I think 12 bucks a month. Um, but a lot of them are built out of cast iron because the homes are so old. So a lot of the connections coming in and out of the house tend to leak. Um, so if they ever go, they can be like ten to $20,000 to repair. But if you pay the $12 of insurance a month, you don't have to worry about it. Nice. Yeah. And then tip. pro tip. Yeah. Pro tip right there. Yeah. That might have to be the real estate reverb of the week. I like that. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> and then your last step, go to closing and you're done. So what will happen is the day of closing, um, your realtor and you will do a walkthrough of the house uh, just to make sure everything's in the same condition as when you last saw it. And then you go to closing that day. Um, you sign your name a couple hundred times and you get some keys and you get to move in. Nice. It's, it's, it's just that simple, huh? It is, yeah. yeah. Unless, unless you signed half of them with your middle name, like I did, and then you have to go back and re-sign all the documents. <laughs> it, in a perfect world, it is, it is that smooth. A um, couple tips, a couple pro tips is um, you'll want to confirm. Uh, so the lender has to get you um, an Alta within a certain number of days of closing. The Alta is, is the settlement sheet. And on there, you'll have like what your closing costs, what your, you know, how much money you need to bring to closing. And uh, two ways to provide funds for closing is either a wire directly to the title company or a certified check. So um, you will not be allowed to show up at closing with your checkbook writing a you know, $10,000 check. So, yeah. uh, so we'll get that done ahead of time. Um, <laughs> Anything like a home warranty could be purchased at that time, which could add, you know, um, any, you know, a lot of times, you know, if a home has a 10 year old HVAC, I'm recommending that people get a home warranty um, just because for, you know, four to $500 a year, you could have that protection that if your H, you know, HVAC breaks that you, they, they'll replace it or fix it and you don't have to worry about it. It's again, like that insurance that you recommended on the uh, sewer drain lines. Um, and um, yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, s settlement is should be you know should be a, a small celebration while you're signing your life away. Yeah, <laughs> best day ever. Exactly. Um, so th this kind of reminds me of my first when I bought my first house. So um, we've talked about this before, but uh, I love I love the story of buying my first house because um, I worked with a um, a real estate agent that was. Um, a ex eighties rock star. Nice. And, um, he, uh, he told me in the eighties he had, um, he had more spandex than he had money. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you know you found a good real estate agent. Yes. But he was an investor, very smart and had, you know, could, had really good results in, with, you know, with his investments and things like that. Very charismatic, um, and super fast talking, like, you know, uh, and so people like, you know, I, people really flocked to him. So he's very, very, you know, exciting to work with anyway. So 
you know, instead of like, my, my thought was to buy something small and like kind of work my way up, like get a starter home. Yeah. And, um, Tom said that that w- wasn't the right idea and that I should buy a big house because everyone's Tom? buying. No, no, different Tom. Oh, okay. So, I wish Tom was a rock star because then there'd be even more stories. But yeah, uh, yeah no, not Tom Dillsheimer. But uh, so he told me, you know, to buy a big house. So I, you know, and a lot of people I knew were buying big houses. So my first house was over 3,000 square feet. And it was in the, I would say it was in the exurbs because that was where my budget would get me the biggest house. And, um, yeah, I, I lived in it for 14 months and, uh, I had several rooms that weren't furnished (laughs) and uh, I was in my twenties and I was, you know, the youngest person in the neighborhood by far. And I did, you know, honestly, I can't complain. Uh, I did pretty well on that house, but, um, had I kept it for a long time, I actually would have lost money. Because uh, oh, after wow. 2008, um, that home has not re, you know hasn't recovered to what I sold it for. Still, wow, yeah. So, um, so I I got out in, in 2005, I believe I sold that house. That was like the perfect time. Yes, um, but yeah. So then you know, but then I bought a bigger house and. Uh, <laughs> Just living a baller life out there. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah. So I, you know, my, I think my, my dad called it the governor's mansion. It really wasn't that big. Um, but just, um, just what, like 5,000 square feet? No, no. <laughs> it was, it was under 4,000 square feet, but um, it was, you know, I moved closer to town. So I wasn't in the exurbs anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in the suburbs and it was great until, you know, 2008 hit and, you know, um, you know, I didn't have any passive income coming in because I invested all my money into my big house. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, you know, that is, you know, that's kind of the story of me buying my first house was I, you know, basically hired a rock star agent and tried to live a rock star lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, so um, ha- if I had to do it all over again, I would make, I would have done it very differently. So, but um, I'll let you tell your story because I, I do like, I do like hearing your story buying your first place. All right. Yeah. Well, I basically wanted to buy a house that I could, I could rent out. Um, I, I had a landscaping company and when I first went to look for a mortgage, um, I talked with the lender and he's like, Oh, like pre 2008, I could give you a mortgage. No problem. But he's like, you're self-employed and you don't have two years of self-employment income. And so I can't give you a mortgage for like another two years. I was like, oh my God. Like it was like an immediate punch in the gut. And it was just the worst feeling. So I was pretty over landscaping at that point. I was doing like 16 hour days, 90 degree heat. So me and my buddy both decided to move on with the business. And um, we both got W2 jobs, which allowed me to get a mortgage and qualify for one. So after I qualified, I went and looked at houses with um, someone who invests that I knew, which was important to me. Um, so I was looking for a house that I could house hack. So I'd live in one room and I'd rent the other out to like my college friends. Um, so I wanted the most rooms possible. And so I found a four bedroom, but before that, I actually had one under contract um, because I was just, I was so tired of looking at houses and I just wanted a deal. And I found this cheap house for like 200,000, which was a really good deal at the time. 
I was like, oh my God, like I found this amazing deal. And it was kind of like an off market thing. And when I first went through the house, it was beautiful. I was like, this is like, <laughs> this is my deal here. And then I went yeah. back through with the inspector and he just started pointing out stuff like, oh, radiators missing here. You're missing this radiator. And then we went in the basement. There was like a ton of mold growing stuff. I didn't even notice at all. Yeah. And that's why I say like inspection money is the best money that you can buy because you, when you're looking at houses, you just have rose colored glasses on and you just want to sure. get, get in, in a house. So I actually walked away from that one. Um, and I was like devastated again, but I found a better house a couple weeks later and it was a four bedroom, one bath, and it was only like 30 grand more, but it was completely fixed up somewhat. I mean, there's still work to do, but the kitchen was brand sure. new. Um, and luckily I had college friends who wanted to move in with me. So I was able to pay the mortgage that way. Um, but when I, I did the inspection that time, I, um, I pointed out to the inspector, I was like, Hey, those cast iron pipes look a little sketchy. I was like, do we have to do anything about that? And he's like, nah, like they'll go eventually. I'm like, okay, great. And <laughs> so when we did the walkthrough, they were leaking and that's why the walkthrough is important. The, mm -hmm. um, the owner had to pay to replace the pipes. Um, but I still own that nice. as like an investment property today and it's made out really well. When I actually moved into that property, I didn't have a lot of money left. Um, and the bathroom broke right away. I pulled up, like I was replacing the toilet and we found out the floor was all rotted out. Um, so have reserves on hand cause I did not have any, I had to do a lot of overtime at my W2 job to pay for that bathroom. That's awful. But it worked out. <laughs> yeah. So, so how did so how did you live there? So you know, you, you mentioned the term house hacking. How did how did that work? Yeah. So I lived in on the third floor in one of the larger bedrooms, and I rented out the other three bedrooms to my friends. Um, so I was pretty much living for free, and yeah, it worked out for me. I loved living with those guys. It was a good time. It was like just after college, so it was a great time to like live with your friends and everything. Fun, yeah. That's um, so. You, so you're basically living for free. So you took on the risk of buying the home, but yeah. Then ended up living for free. Um, how did you use that? Like, so you bought that home how many years ago? I bought it in 2018, at the beginning of 2018. Okay, so you've owned it for over a couple of years. Uh, how long how long did you stay there before you moved? So I was planning on staying there for a while, but then I ended up staying for like, I bought it. I stayed for like 10 months and I bought my second one. How did you, did, did you leverage the first one to buy the second one? Like, how did that work? So I bought it with an FHA loan um, and the rules on the FHA loan are you have to stay in the house for a year unless you have like a life event happen. And I wasn't planning on moving, but um, like we, me and my girlfriend decided we wanted to move in together. So that was my life event. And I had to write a letter to the lender stating like, hey, I'm not trying to violate any rules here, but I'm like moving in with my girlfriend and um, this is kind of a life event that's happening. So I was able to move into that second house and they let me do it. I just had to provide 
um, leases to show that the, the place was paying for itself, basically, and that the, the debt was covered. Nice. Yeah. That's, and uh, so now you have two. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm fixing up my second one and not paying rent for that 10 months allowed me to like really save up for that second house. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Like, that's, that's amazing. It's like a positive um, feedback loop. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And, um, you know, speaking of life events, um, I think, I think you had a life event this past weekend, right? Yeah. Yeah. I actually engaged this weekend. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Maybe that's the real, real estate lever of this week. <laughs> real estate hacking, buy a house with your girlfriend, then get engaged. Then get engaged. Yeah. Um, have her pay the mortgage while, while you save up for the ring. Yes. <laughs> Love it. You didn't do that. I'm kidding. I did not. <laughs> but you should have. I should have. That would have been nice. Yeah. That's, that's the real estate reverb. Yeah. So. Love it. Um, no, that's fantastic. I, I love the contrast of the stories because if I had to do it all over again, like you know, hindsight's 2020, um, I would have bought something where I could, you know, either a multi-unit or a place that I could have, you know, quote unquote house hacked yeah. um, with and, you know, created equity and then built my way up. Um, what I love about, you know, looking back and watching you do this is you have a fallback position. If, if it all goes bad, you, ha you, you, you can sell your current house and move back into the old house or yeah. sell that house and use the money, the proceeds from that house to, to lower your cost of living where you're living now. There's just, you know, giving yourself options. Um, I recommend that for everybody. Like when, as you build your real estate empire, um, look at each, each step and say like, how does, this, how does this give me options to if things are not great in the future and, uh, you know, have that as a plan. And I really, I really like that about your, your plan is having a fallback position. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's the good thing about real estate investing is it just gives you more options. So in like five to 10 years, I can pull equity out of that house and use it to buy another investment property oh. or whatever. Um, so it just gives you so many options and they keep just growing as, as you own it. So here's the question of the week though. So this is for both of us. Yeah. What, what's your future plan? What's your next step in real estate buying? So I really like living in houses and fixing them up. It's just so much easier to do while you're there. Um, yeah. So I really like that. So I don't know, I may move into another one and try fixing it up in the same area or maybe branching out and doing a burr deal, um, which would be me fixing it up and refinancing it into like keeping it as a rental property. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm going to have to do that eventually because I can't keep moving houses the rest of my life. No. So that's a more like sustainable model if I could get <laughs> into to burr investing. But keep moving while you can. Yeah. That, that is a, a benefit of, of being where you are in life. Yeah. Um, all right, I'll answer the same question. So my next step, and I've, I've said this to you many times, is I wanna buy two three unit buildings, two three to four unit buildings for now. And um, being in a different stage in life, I have children, you know, my, my oldest has six years till she goes to college, which is insane. Um, 
And so I want to buy a property for each of my children, which will help pay for college and then eventually pay for weddings or other life events that they choose to have. And um, ultimately pay for me to retire. Uh, I would like the rest of my investing to be done more in syndication deals. Um, I am not hands-on, you know, yeah. there's a between you and I. Yeah. Um, while I do like the idea of design and decorating and doing some of that, where I do think I will do some fun flips with some, some, some friends of mine, I don't see myself as a house flipper. Um, I don't see myself as a property manager. Um, I see myself as a uh, wanting to build financial freedom through relationships and syndications where, you know, I hope I never see the property and it makes, and it makes me a, a nice passive income. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think that's the, the trade off too, is like, if like real estate investing is, if you put a lot of work into it, you'll get a high reward and the less, the more passive it is, the less work you put into it, the less reward you get. So it's like the more work you put in, but you don't want like a full-time job too, if you're investing. So you have to balance it out. Yeah. And honestly, risk, risk levels when you're, when you're younger or more free. So you don't have to be younger to be free. Yeah. Um, yeah so your risk level may increase. Like my risk after my kids go to college, my risk level may increase again. Yeah. Uh, right now it's uh, let's, let's make sure that, you know, we're taking care of the home front and then planning for the future where maybe 10 years from now, I might be like, you know, let's go buy something in Miami, like, which is always crazy. Just so, so I'll have a vacation house. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I want to do, I want it to be like 2006 all over again. I'm going to buy a house in the everywhere. Yeah. I got one week a year. Pricing. Nice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, but you know what? I guarantee you, we'll, we'll have the same conversation, ask the same question a year from now, and my answer will be different. Yeah, I, I just know it. I just Me know too. it's gonna be different. So, yeah. um, I think whoever listens to this has learned a lot today. I think this was a really fun, fun time. Uh, I think so too. A lot of education in the in the meeting today. Yeah, and um, I learned that I need to plug my phone in today. There you go. <laughs> I was wondering where you went. Yeah, no, I was just no, Jesse just, just, just left. He had something I, I, to do. I quit. I, yeah. I said all I could all I could say. I'll have to find a new new co-host. I mean, there's some there's some good ones out there. Jesse quit the show. Bill Timer was pretty good last week. He was he was great. Yeah. yeah. I think Lowry is a little jealous that we <laughs> have this relationship. So Lowry is great. He was great too. <laughs> um, Everyone's great. Awesome. Well good good job. All right. I'll see you next week. Till next time. Yes, sir. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can join us weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and YouTube. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps us out. You can find out more about me at callphillyhome.com, callphillyhome at Instagram, or email me at matt.talent at compass.com. And you can find out more about my co-host, Jesse Johnson, at howrealestate.com jesse johnson on instagram and email him at jesse.johnson at compass.com